The Runner's Anonymous Podcast. Welcome to Runners Anonymous, the podcast. I'm Jim, your host, and welcome again to the podcast where we talk about all things running. I have a lot to share with you this episode, so let's get right to it. For this podcast, I have some new business to share with you. I just got a tweet from Bart Yazzo since my last podcast saying that there are now 600 runners who have signed up for the hat trick, which is the combination of the 5K, 10K, and half marathon for the Runner's World Festival this October in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So that means that there is a minimum of 600 runners for each race. And actually for the 5K, there's a minimum of 601 because my wife signed up only for the 5K. Now, I did have a chance to run with Bart, and I know Bart and I discussed this, but I honestly don't remember if there was a cutoff as to how many people can run uh, any of or all of the races. I seem to think there was. Uh, the area where they're going to be parking people and where the race is going to start and finish is a good size area, but uh, it kind of narrows out uh, to where the finish line is. So my memory seems that uh, there was actually going to be a cutoff one, maybe 2,000 people, I would think, per race. But I could be wrong. I could be totally wrong. Uh, so again, if you're interested in going to this race, I would be signing up as soon as possible. But I wanted to just get back to you uh, with that information. And that's it for new business for this podcast. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. That started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship. When you hear that theme song, there's probably a lot of things that come to mind. Goofy 60s television, Gilligan, the Skipper, Marianne, Ginger, the professor making stuff out of things that he could have easily have made a boat out of. But uh, one of the things you probably also might th come to mind when you think of that theme song are coconuts, which is interesting for this uh, 
for this little segment because we're going to talk about something that's been in the running news a lot recently, and that's coconut water. Uh, if you go to your local grocery store, you'll probably even see um, in the sports drink area products from either Vitacoco uh, or other manufacturers of coconut water. And you may well have been wondering, what is coconut water doing in the sports drink section of my supermarket? Well, we're going to talk about that. I have here an article that I pulled up from the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which is formerly just known as the American Dietetic Association. And I got it here right in my hot little hands. There she is. And it's talking about uh, the actual dietary benefit of using coconut water. And there's lots of information that's been put out about coconut water. Like there is a lot of products. Uh, some of it's accurate. Some of it's a bit of a stretch. Some of it's really a stretch. So we're going to take these uh, issues one by one as we talk about this. This article is entitled, Coconut Water, Is It What It's Cracked Up To Be? And it goes through a bunch of little questions here and basically puts them out as, are they facts or myth? So we're going to start these one at a time. So the first one is, coconut water is an ideal post-exercise drink. Now, if you look at the uh, labeling on the sides of these products, one of the things that they'll tell you is that you know this is now the ideal thing. You should be guzzling coconut water um, after exercise, before exercise, because it helps hydrate you a lot better than other types of, uh, of fluids. Um, I'll talk about uh, how much potassium is in coconut water as opposed to other types of uh, hydration. And the answer to this question, coconut water, is it an ideal post-drink, factor myth, is actually a myth. And there's a good reason for that. One, there's a number of types of coconut water that's out there. There's the unflavored kind, and there's, of course, then the flavored kind. If you go to the flavored kind, you end up adding a lot of sugar, uh, so you've kind of defeated the purpose of having a natural drink uh, that doesn't have a lot of sugar in it because coconut water does not have a lot of sugar in it or a lot of calories. Uh, but uh, one of the things that they throw out is that coconut water is very high in potassium. And certainly, after you've done a lot of heavy sweating and a heavy exercise, you certainly need to replace potassium. But you actually need to replace sodium more. You're actually going to sweat out a lot more sodium than you will potassium. And the thing, and you probably have heard this before, hyponatremia, that totally refers to the amount of sodium that's in your bloodstream. Uh, and that's the thing you really need to replace quickly. Um, not so much potassium. Uh, having extra potassium is very good because it'll keep you from having uh, leg cramps and stuff like that. But uh, again, the amount that's in coconut water is about the same as eating two bananas. So really, you're better off getting something with a little more sodium in it and just eating two bananas. So that's myth number one. Number two, 
coconut water hydrates you better than H2O. And I've actually seen this on the sides of some of these products. And that is an absolute myth. Your body is going to do what your body is going to do. As long as you give it what it needs, it really doesn't matter where the hydration comes from. Your body is not going to take, for example, potassium faster because it came from coconut water than if you got it from a banana. All right? Uh, that, that part is really... I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense once you kind of sit back. and But it really bugs me as a healthcare professional when I see some of this stuff that's actually allowed to be put on the sides of, uh, of products. Uh, but from the formerly known American Dietetic Association, this again is a myth. Um, coconut water boasts electrolytes, but there is no scientific proof that an average person hydrates any better with coconut water than plain old water. And the extra bonus here is if you're watching your calories, you know how many calories are in water? Zero. Coconut water doesn't have a lot. You're looking between 40 to 60 uh, per serving, but still zero is less than 40 or 60. Okay, next. Coconut water has anti-aging properties. Now, this one gets a little complicated because, I mean, certainly exercise in and of itself has some properties to help keep you as young as your body can be. But let's face it, folks, we're all getting older. Uh, if, you're not, if you're not getting older, there's only one other option, and that's not a good one because it's called death. So you're either getting older or you're dead. So getting older, when you kind of compare it to the other option, isn't such a bad option. But, you know, we do need to keep our bodies in as good a shape as possible. So that does help us remain more youthful. But uh, you know, I just get kind of, I don't know, uh, this, you know, fountain of youth stuff really, you know, kind of sticks in my craw. There's nothing wrong with getting older as long as, you, as, long as you're smart about it, you know. But anyway, uh, getting back to the article here, though. Um, what they say here, the claim here, is that uh, coconut water significantly increases plant cell proliferation without increasing the number of undesirable mutations. Now, that's a whole lot of jargon to say that it protects your cells better than regular water. If you're hydrating yourself properly you're eating a proper diet, you're doing all that nature and God expects you to do for yourselves. You're good. There's no magic bullet. You gotta hydrate properly. You have to eat properly. So just remember that. There is no magic bullet. You got, you got, there is some work you have to do um, in order to stay, to stay healthy. Okay, coconut water is healthier than fruit juice. This actually is true. If you're looking for something that will be less in calories, coconut water is your deal. Because again, as we talked about, you're looking at 40 to 60 calories, a little more if you're talking about something that's mixed with passion fruit and some of these other um, guava, a little more exotic fruits. Um, uh, but uh, still... This is still going to be uh, 
uh, a healthier alternative, at least as far as calories are concerned, uh, than just straight fruit juice, which sadly, if you look at most fruit juices, they don't contain a whole lot of fruit. Um, 10 to 20% usually tops. And even if it does contain 100% fruit juice, quite often it's from concentrate. It's not simply fresh squeeze, which is even better for you. So uh, in this part, they, uh, they actually are accurate. Okay, next. Coconut water helps prevent stroke and heart attack. Again, folks, there's no magic bullet when it comes to health. Now, again, where they're coming from here is that potassium in the coconut water helps counteract blood pressure boosting effects of sodium. Let me just tell you something here, all right? Know your health history, know your family's health history when it comes to your cardiac risks, and go see your doctor. That is really the best thing you can do. Rather than going and getting your information from the grocery store, go to your doctor. If you need to get screened, get screened. Okay, finally, coconut water speeds up your metabolism. Now, it is true when you're dehydrated, your metabolism slows down. So, of course, anything that you drink will help speed your metabolism up. This, of course, is anything. Water, Gatorade, Powerade, or coconut water. So this, too, is a myth. Now, if you like coconut water and you want to drink coconut water, that's fine. Remember, though, Careful if you're going to do this exclusively because it really does not have a whole lot of sodium. Um, and if you're really a heavy sweater, if you've done a really heavy workout, you really need to replace that sodium. So whether you have coconut water and you eat a bunch of pretzels uh, or something else that has salt in it, um, find some way to get that sodium back into your bloodstream because that's going to be very important. That's what's going to ward off you getting hyponatremia. Now, to be fair, I have actually tried coconut water. I'm not a big fan of folks who, uh, you know, pick something off of the news or, you know, the television or out of a magazine and then just quote it to everybody as gospel. I kind of like to look at as many angles as I can uh, with this. So I've also actually tried coconut water. Um... For me personally, I wasn't a huge fan of the taste. I found it a little bit on the syrupy side um, as far as texture goes. Not like drinking syrup, but certainly more syrupy than just drinking straight water. Um, and uh, if you've been listening to any of these podcasts, you know my pet peeve when it comes to uh, fluid replacement. I like to have something that has, one, a fair amount of sodium in it, and also a fair amount of carbohydrates, and again, that's going to be in the form of sugar. Um, fruit juice better, but I usually find that my body kind of craves more of the more of the carbohydrates and sugar and stuff after I've done a, a particularly hard um, run or a long run, or if it's been really hot out and I've sweat a lot. Um, I generally find I feel better after that. Could also be a little bit of uh, hypoglycemia going on after a long run if I may not have eaten a, as much as I should have or snacked along the way during a marathon. It could be something along those lines as well too. 
Um, I haven't actually checked my blood sugar after a after a mar marathon to see where I am with that. So that could also be what's going on with me. Uh, again, the best information for you when it comes to medical information is not going to come from this or any other podcast. It's going to come from your own per personal physician. So please be sure to check in with your with your doc uh, at least every so often uh, to see uh, how you're doing because you know much better better to catch things ahead of time than to uh, have to try to catch back up after something gets ahead of you. So that's it for this part of the, uh, the podcast. On to topic number two. next topic, we're going to turn this podcast into a numbers game, specifically a BMI number. If you're not familiar with the term BMI, it stands for Body Mass Index. And basically what it is, it's a quick way to find out where your weight is in relation to your height. Good way to tell you whether or not you're underweight, normal weight, overweight, obese, or even extremely obese in very uh, extreme cases. Now, it's very easy to find the BMI number. If you look online, there's about a bazillion places that have, uh, have listings for this. And you'll even find listings specifically for men specifically for women, and specifically for children, because your average BMI score takes for granted that you're talking about somebody who's at least 20 years old. So that's the reason for having something also for, for children. But there is a slight variation. I want to emphasize the word slight variation in what's allowable as far as weight between men and women. And this is because, as a general rule, Men carry more weight in the form of muscle mass. Your average guy will have more muscle mass than your average woman. And since muscle weighs more, men are allowed to carry a slight amount of more weight uh, and still be considered normal as far as your weight. Uh, guys, it's not 10 pounds, so don't think that means that, you know, hot dog, I can eat some extra burgers and beer and, you know, I can stay within my weight limit. Um, you may be able to uh, if uh, your metabolism runs a thousand miles an hour like mine used to until I hit uh, 35. Um, but uh, but yeah, what you know, normal for a woman and normal for a man as far as the BMI score it is slightly different, but it's not drastically different. Like I said it's it's not 10 pounds different. So uh, if you go to just a generic one. That really is good enough for anybody, as long as you're, again, 20 years old or older. Now, why are we talking about a BMI score in the first place? Well, certainly when it comes to running and your health, your weight is a very important part of what's going to make you a better runner. 
Certainly, if you're carrying less weight, it's much easier for you to run. Anybody who's uh, tried to run with uh, sandbags, as we used to do back in track, uh, as a weight training kind of a thing, you know, with weights around your ankles, or usually it's a big vest that was filled with sand, and you'd run. Oh, good grief! We'd run all. Sometimes we'd run a mile or so with with that thing on, and then you'd drop it off, and you'd run another mile. And you'd, you'd feel after you dropped that sandbag off that it was almost like you were running on air because literally you just dropped about 25 pounds. So uh, it, was a, it was a big lift to drop all that extra weight. And, of course, it's less weight on your joints. Um, you know, and I always found that uh, when I was able to lose a little bit of weight, um, I could run not only faster but faster for a longer period of time and actually my very best result in a marathon I had actually dropped my weight back down to about 163 I actually got down pretty close to 160 about 163 um, and I'm 510 uh, so that uh, that really worked out pretty well for me so I'm bringing it up because I'm currently in my mode getting ready for, for marathons uh, this fall, and I'm trying to drop some weight now and get back down to uh, 160 if I can, but 160 just feels like that's probably going to be a little bit on the on the thin side for me, but we'll see when we get there. Um, but uh, I'd like to be able to break 4 hours and 30 minutes, and I wasn't able to do it at 163, so... You know, we'll see if I can get down to 160 if that's uh, enough along with some proper training uh, to get me uh, under 4 hours and 30 minutes for, uh, for a marathon. In addition to being able to run faster, though, uh, there actually is some pretty good data that if you can actually keep your weight down to between a BMI score of 19 to 22, uh, that there... Uh, you have a good chance of living longer. Statistically, you will live longer if your BMI is within that range. Now, to give you some ideas of what that means, so for somebody who is five foot ten, uh, you're talking about again from 19 to 22. You're talking about somebody who's weighing between 132 and 153 pounds. Uh, it's not a lot of weight, folks. Uh, if you actually look at a lot of other societies. We here in Western civilization are much heavier than a lot of the rest of the world. Um, not to get into politics too much, but uh, certainly the First Lady has a big issue with uh, uh, obesity and, ch and kids. And, you know, regardless of where you fall, Republican or Democrat, it is very important that we start off with our kids uh, to make sure that they have a proper understanding of you know, what, what their body really should look like, because let's face it, you look at media today, and there's some really, really bizarre ideas out there as to, you know, what, you know, a, a attractive woman or man should look like, and let's face it, most of us don't look like that. Um, and it can lead to a lot of self-esteem nonsense and stuff like that, that, uh, you know, Issues that we really don't need to have because they're ridiculous to begin with. Um, so uh, getting a more well-rounded perspective of 
what our bodies really should look like and how they should function is a good thing for anybody, regardless of whether you're a, a liberal or a conservative. So just throwing that out there. Um, the last reason, though, that I'm going to mention for keeping a very good handle on what your BMI score is, is it has an awful lot to do with your heart and your cardiac risks for either heart disease, heart attack, or stroke. Um, again, we talked about this earlier. You got two options once you're on this planet. Get older or not get older. And since most of us want to stick around with our family and friends as long as we can, the option you're shooting for is to get older. In order to do that, you have to have a good understanding of all your cardiac risks. And one of those is how much weight you're carrying. So if you don't actually have a BMI chart somewhere in your house, Go online sometime today and print one out. Put it on your fridge. Put it in your bathroom if that's where you keep your scale. But have it someplace where you can get a hold of it. So that as you monitor your weight, and you should be routinely monitoring your weight, just check back to that uh, BMI scale that you've printed out and just see where you fall just to keep an eye on that. Uh, we're always interested in having the most update information and when it comes to your health and your training, something like a BMI score is just so simple that it's almost a shame to overlook it. So be sure to get on that one today. If you've been paying attention during this podcast so far, you've probably noticed that I've done an awful lot of talking about health. Not so much about running, but mostly about health. Not that health is divorced from the subject of running, because if you don't have health, you can't run. You certainly can't run very well. But this podcast is very, very focused on health, and there's really a good reason for that. Uh, since my last podcast, my health has taken a turn for the weird, and uh, it's been a good experience uh, looking at it with the 2020 vision that I can look at it with now. But I'll tell you, at the beginning of this month, uh, I'm taping this, of course, in August for a September release. I wouldn't have said that. Uh, I had some real uh, moments where I was pretty concerned. 
So we'll just uh, get to the heart of the matter and get on with it. At the beginning of this month, I was having some pretty severe heart palpitations. If you're not familiar with the, with the term, uh, it's also called skipped heartbeat. You basically feel your heart skip a beat. Uh, now, to feel this every so often, um, you know, once or twice a year, nothing really abnormal about that. Usually people, at some point in a time in their life, will feel their heart skip a beat. Not a big deal. Uh, I had noticed at the beginning of the month that it was happening a lot more frequently than it ever had to me before. It was actually happening uh, every single day. Maybe three or four times every single day, but nonetheless every single day. Until one day, about a week and a half into the month, uh, where it was going about five times every hour. And that was like all day. Uh, needless to say, uh, got me a little concerned because my family cardiac history is, to say the least, deplorable. Uh, awful lot of uh, folks in my family who have uh, atrial fibrillation. A lot of folks in my family who have uh, mitral valve prolapses, which uh, mitral valve prolapse isn't the worst thing in the world you could have. Uh, you can live your whole life and never know you had one. But nonetheless, it's an abnormality. Uh, there's been an awful lot of folks in my family who have uh, expired from heart attack, stroke, or the results from a stroke. And to be quite honest, uh, I can only, well, I don't know of anybody in my family, including my cousins, who don't have something going on with their heart that are part of uh, the one, uh, certainly my mom's side of the family. So uh, having that kind of history was a, a little concerning. And to be quite honest, one of the reasons uh, why I got back into running, since I knew that uh, genetically speaking, uh, I wasn't uh, as fortunate as some people are uh, when it comes to cardiac health. At least not in, like I said, the genetics, uh, genetic standpoint. So, you know, when I started to feel my heart skipping, you know, skipping a beat about five times every single hour, that was a little concerning. So I ended up in the emergency room, uh, and you know, as uh, Murphy's law would have it, you know, by the time I got to the emergency room, it wasn't doing it anymore, or at least it wasn't doing it when they were looking at the monitor. Because, uh, of course, they weren't recording any of it, except for the EKG, which is a very short period of time um, that it records. So, you know, after that, it was, a, you know, a week after that, it was a trip to my doc to get a follow-up. And uh, I ended up getting a stress test, uh, along with the echocardiogram. So they actually kind of take a Doppler of your your heart to see what your heart looks like and the big thing they're looking for there is just to make sure that the uh, electrical pathways in your heart are working the way they should be. If you kind of think about it you have two nodes on your heart that kind of work 
very similarly uh, like spark plugs. You give off an impulse and that causes the heart muscle to contract. You have, you have two of them. So they were looking to make sure that, in layman's terms, that my spark plugs were working the way they should be. Well, I came through that with, with flying colors. The official report came about, and I, I do have a mitral valve prolapse. And again, what that means is you have two valves, tricuspid and a mitral valve. And it just means that one of the valves, and this is the valve coming into the heart, uh, from, uh, I'm going to not get too technical on people, but so you have your blood that comes into the heart and it comes into the top right-hand side of your heart, which is your right atria. And from there, it travels into your heart and then into your lungs, gets oxygenated, comes back into your heart, and then gets pushed out into the rest of your body. Well, that valve there doesn't work so well. Uh, it's got a little bit of a, uh, uh, of a gap where it doesn't seal correctly. Now, again, could live to be 90 years old and it never causes a problem. There are a lot of people who have them. It's one of those things that actually, if it's bad enough, uh, you actually have to take antibiotics. Uh, when you have dental work, you may have heard of that before. Um, but... In my case, so far, fingers crossed, I'm being told that mine is not bad enough that I would need to have antibiotics. So, so far, we're so good. Uh, the only other test I have left to, to do, and I'm actually doing it right now as I'm recording, is to have what's called uh, a Holter or Event Monitor. And basically, it's a really long EKG, a 24-hour EKG. So they put all the sticky pads on you. And you get a little box that's probably the size of a really large pager uh, that uh, gets slung onto your, onto your stomach here, the way they have me hooked up. And it just records everything your heart does for the next 24 hours. And you get a little diary. You get to write down what you're doing. So obviously, you know, if you're, you know, when you go to bed, you write down went to bed. When you get up, you write woke up. So when they go back and look at it, they can say, okay, your heart was going up at this point, but you were running to catch the bus, or whenever it is you've logged in your diary that you were doing. So uh, they can kind of piece things together. Because obviously if your heart rate increases significantly, and it's during the period of time when you're asleep, that's problematic. So that's the reason for the diary. So... At this point, it's looking like my issue was stress-related, in addition to a uh, very minor mitral valve prolapse. And we did have an awful lot of stuff that happened in my life in the, in the term of, uh, you know, my father passing away. Uh, one of my best friends passed away about three months after that. A lot of stuff going on around the house. And I actually wrote a very long blog about it on my uh, blog uh, most recently, and I will uh, have a link to that in the show notes, so you can go ahead and read that rather than rehash all of that there, but uh, to say the least, done a little bit of soul searching uh, since then, even though this uh, appears to be a very uh, 
very much in the near-miss category. And uh, Kyle looked and, you know, decided, you know what, the one thing that hasn't missed me is I'm only going to have so long to do this, this whole marathoning thing, regardless of whether I have any other issues with my heart from now until my last days on this planet. You know, I'm only going to have so many days to do that, and uh, it really does behoove me not to... Oh, what's the words I'm looking for? Not to miss the opportunity, I guess, is the way I want to put it. You know, um, I have the opportunity to do this right now, and I really should take the opportunity to do it as well as I possibly can. Um, there's actually a quote from uh, Steve Prefontaine uh, that's uh, similar to that. I don't remember it verbatim right now, but basically to not do your best is to sacrifice the gift. Pretty close, I think, to Steve Prefontaine's uh, famous quote. Uh, referring to, you know, your own particular athletic ability. So uh, that's really where I've been. Um, the other thing, though, that uh, it has uh, occurred to me is that um, really important, folks, that, you know, when things happen in your life, that you go out and you find some really supportive people and you talk to them. Uh, I'm saying this not because I'm excited about saying this, but really more because this is my opportunity to kind of pass on to other people something that's happened to me so that you won't make the same mistakes I've made. And one of those, obviously, looking back at it again, 2020 vision, is I could have been a lot more open about how I was feeling over, you know, my father and my best friend passing away than I did. Kind of got caught up in the male, I'm going to be a tough guy and tough my way through it, which is ironic since I work in psychiatry and I know better. Um, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, that's where I am. So, uh, you know, should you find yourself in uh, difficult uh, circumstances, you know, uh, Wherever you are, you have people around you who are willing to listen to you. Uh, make, uh, make the most of that. Um, you really, uh, you'd be surprised to find out that uh, even if it's a lot of just good stress, good stress is still stress, folks, and it still affects you. Uh, whether you feel it's affecting you or not, it still does affect you. Um, so I guess I would just put up a very simple, you know, make use of the time you have, make use of the friends you have, and do it to the best of your ability. I could probably continue on, but I think I've pretty much covered all I want to say in this segment. So I think we'll stop right here, and we'll move on to something else. Can we get it right? Yeah, well, can we get it right? Cause these are the days we're living. These are the years we're giving. These are the moments, these are the times. Let's make the best out of our lives. Even if hope was shattered, 
which you just heard is the long version of the jingle known as Curtain Call. I've used the medium version of this jingle to signify the last segment of my podcast for pretty much most of them. Um, this is the seventh one that I'm doing, and for most of them I've used that to signify that this is the last segment of the podcast before I play the closing music and say my closing credits. It's an appropriately named jingle for this segment in particular, though, because I have an announcement, and that is that this is going to be my last podcast for now. You never want to get caught into always and never kind of speak, but uh, as I mentioned, this is the seventh podcast that I've done, doing these one a month. So I've been doing these now for seven months. And like any enterprise, you should have waypoints along the progress where you stop, you look at where you've come from, you look where you are now, you decide, you know, is it progressing the way you want it to? What changes do you need to make? Or, in fact, is this really even something you want to continue with? at this, at this uh, point in time. For a lot of reasons, I have come to the conclusion, and thus the decision, that I'm going to hold off on doing this podcast for a little while. There are a number of reasons for that, and one of the things that I really spent an awful lot of time thinking about is how I wanted to explain this. There's two huge traps that you can fall into when explaining something. One is to under-explain things. Certainly, a prime example of podcasts under-explaining uh, why they're uh, closing shops, so to speak, is when they simply don't do a next podcast and just don't give you any information whatsoever. They're just gone. That definitely falls under an under-explanation. And... It leads people, I think, sometimes to try and make up a reason as to why the podcast pod faded. Conversely, the other thing you can do is to over-explain things and give people so much gory detail that either A, you bore the crap out of them and they're actually happy you're gone, or you give so much detail that you leave yourself open for people to kind of pick and choose things out of your explanation to be offended at when that probably wasn't what you meant. So I am choosing my words carefully here because I don't want to offend anybody. Um, I really just want to say that this isn't the time for me to be doing a podcast. But there's a lot of reasons why. Um, but let me just give you the highlight ones. Uh, having looked back at the beginning of 2012, which, again, started right after the death of my father, it's kind of come to me that, you know what, I probably need a little more time to process that, uh, considering that, you know, within three months later, one of my best friends passed away. So I'm going to take a little hiatus just so I have some more 
me time, I suppose, to kind of process some of that. And frankly, I do some of my best processing while I'm running. Um, and I have found that by putting this podcast in the middle of my lap saying I'm committed to doing a podcast of between a half an hour to an hour every single month, that I've actually really spent an awful lot of time stressing about this podcast and finding articles that were interesting to talk about, finding things that were interesting to talk about, um, editing, re-editing, re-editing the re-edits of this podcast, trying to get out all the ums, ahs, clicks, uh, and other uh, verbal things that just don't sound so great when you listen back to them in the cold light of day. That I really haven't spent an awful lot of time focusing on my running, which is kind of a mistake and a shame. Uh, This is a podcast about running, and I'm doing less running. Uh, So I've decided, you know what, Uh, we're going to correct that, and we're going to go back to basics, focus in on my running. Um, And We're coming up on right now the beginning of September, and I still have no idea what marathon I'm doing for the fall. I've never been in that situation since I started doing marathons. Um, So, you know, again, another clue for me. Um, The other thing, and, you know, I guess um, I was ready for this one and then not. Uh, podcasting is a ton of work. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, there's basically outlining the things you want to say, finding the things to support what it is you want to say, um, taping. Of course, nobody gets the first taping done properly, so you have to retape and retape and retape. Um, then there's editing, uh, maybe going back and fixing something that you, you, you liked the first time, but then you got to go back and fix it again. Uh, I'm not a perfectionist, but I'm also not one of these kind of fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of people. That Yeah, good enough for government work, we'll just throw it out there. Because um, once it's out there, it's out there. So you kind of want it to be as good as it can be without making yourself crazy over it. But with these podcasts, I'm finding that, you know, a a half an hour, hour podcast is pretty much chewing up between a week and a half to two weeks of my time. And, you know, for right now, I I think I can probably spend that time better focusing on running, focusing back in on on my blog which I've kind of let go a little bit since I'm doing the podcast, and some of the ideas that would have gone on the blog have obviously shown up in the podcast. Um, And, you know, just kind of focusing in on a lot of stuff. You know, again, mentioned my father and my best friend passing away. So that's kind of where it is for me right now. Um, This has been an eye-opening experience. I certainly have a much 
greater appreciation for people who do podcasts and have done podcasts for a long time. And I'm thinking of my friend Kevin, who was in my first podcast here, uh, who is now past 100 podcasts. I've been doing this for five, six years. Um, you know, I would just throw out uh, for everybody who listens to podcasts, and obviously if you're listening to me, you listen to podcasts, uh, to take the time right now and either send your favorite podcaster a little note saying how much you appreciate them, because uh, this is a hell of a lot of work. And uh, we're really very lucky that there are people who have the time and the passion to go and do this uh, so that we can sit back and enjoy this, either while we're running or just, you know, if you're listening to this in the car or whatever you're doing with this. Um, you know, whoever those people are for you. Um, send them a little note after you listen to this podcast and say, hey, you know what? Thanks. Um, I really appreciate this. Um, as a fellow podcaster, I can tell you that will mean an awful lot to them. So, uh, there's that. Since I'm talking about thank yous, I want to take this opportunity to give you a very heartfelt, no pun intended, thank you for subscribing to this podcast and listening to this podcast. I don't care whether this is the first one you've listened to or whether you've been with me since podcast number one. Thank you very much. Um, for those of you who have sent comments to me, either at the webpage for this podcast, uh, on iTunes, or just sent me a little something at my Daily Mile page, thank you very much. It has meant an awful lot to know that all the work that's gone into this has been appreciated. Um, I really can't thank you enough. I know people say that all the time, but I really mean that. I really can't thank you enough, and I really, there really aren't words to say how much I appreciate that. Um, I also want to just uh, throw out that, uh, as I said, we're going to uh, kind of take a little vacation from the podcast for right now. Um, doesn't mean that the podcast is going to go away forever. I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. But... Uh, the website's not going anywhere. The email's not going anywhere. So at any point in the future you want to shoot me an email uh, at the website or make a comment on the website page, please feel free to do it. I will still get it. I will still respond to it. Uh, but, uh, you know, as things uh, transpire down the road, we may very well resurrect this. We may resurrect this before the year is out. Uh, but for right now, I just want to finish with a very heartfelt thank you to everyone. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Till we meet again.